Hey everyone, we're back again with another episode of uh, Lessons of the Woods by Ten Point Whitetails. I'm your host, Dylan Porter, and with me I have our co-host, Kyle Weber. And uh, today we're going to be talking, well, we're sponsored by Wallhanger Taxidermy of Cable, Wisconsin. It's late at night tonight, it's about 10.40, and we're going to do a podcast because we don't have a lot of time these days. It's deer season, things are going on, we're going to try to keep our energy up while we go through this. Uh, if we say anything stupid... Forgive us. We've been hunting for five days, averaging between four and five hours of sleep a night. This yep. morning, uh, uh, or this morning, we went to bed at three a.m. Yep. How many, how many hours of sleep did you get? I slept in till slept slept in till nine, so I got six. Good. Good. Uh, that was good for me. I was out the door at seven thirty. What is wrong with you? Uh, uh, lots of things, but how are you functioning? I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, this is gonna be a good episode. This, this might gonna be, be great. The best one. Yeah. This, yes. Uh, so... What are we talking about today, Dylan? Porter? We are talking about access. Access. Accessing... Accessing your hunting land. Okay. That's the All best right. way to do it. Perfect. Uh, and if you're wondering where we're at, we are in a place, hopefully we can use more than once. We'll see if Dad ever lets us back after today. Uh, we're at my dad's cabin, about a half mile back in the swamp. If you go two directions, you will walk two to four miles before finding civilization. And... In the spring, you will find waist-deep water. There's wolves. There's bears. My younger brother shot a 529-pound bear two years ago. Wow. I think two years ago. Out of this cabin. That bear was on the deck of the cabin the day before. So, yeah. Uh, so here we are. <laughs> We're safe. Lock the door. <laughs> Don't sleepwalk tonight. Yeah, right. Uh but anyway, we're here to talk about access, accessing your hunting land, because you have to condition the deer to get used to your access, or you have to hide your access. There's all sorts of ways to go about this, uh, but I'm going to let you lead us off, and then we'll see where we end up. So, a couple things with access that really matter is not busting the deer off the property, not pushing the deer off the property, and the goal would be to access the property with with zero intrusion on the deer and where they're bedded where they're eating um so common mistake for everyone is they want to hunt the middle of the property they have a 40 acre parcel or, or 80 acres they want to hunt the middle um but it's a better tactic to hunt the perimeter short walks in you know your access have to be clear and clean and uh let the deer be bedded and inside and work their way out. And as they work their way out off the property, obviously you hope to have an interaction with the deer. Um, but you don't have to, you have 80 acres, you don't have to walk in a quarter mile so right, right in the middle and, and hope to um, see a deer. You want to set your property up so bedding is in the middle and they work their way out towards you. Yeah. Um, but you want to make sure to stay away from the bedding areas. You want to stay out of sight. You don't want them to hear you. Um, there's tricks to the trails. Old logging roads are a great thing to use. At, um, your four-wheeler trail. That's great access to keep you quiet. And usually those trails kind of have a brushy side, so it helps with a, a visual barrier. So so walk us through what you did at Wits End, to, at least for your big food plot, to give you access to that food plot. Well, the food plot was designed to be on the downhill side. So when I'm parked at the gate and you walk up the trail, 
I'm basically, I'm going up elevation, I'm going up a hill the entire time. And then I walk up, I come off the ATV trail, I come over, and then I get to the, f the base of my tree stand, of, of our Titan blind. And as I climb that ladder, I am now into the blind, looking over the crest of the hill, and I'm looking downhill at the food plot. And when it was just woods, I had a buddy stand in the middle of what would now be the, the mm -hmm. big food plot. And uh, you could see my truck where I was parked. Yeah. You could see the truck. And I was like, so from the truck, walking up here, you can see me all day long. So I built uh, a little bit of a berm with some debris from clearing that, clearing that food plot. Built a berm. It's a little high right now, six, seven feet, but it'll decompose. And yeah, over time. Yep. Yeah. So, that way at any point, a nice buck or a doe or the fawns can be out in this food plot and they can, they're visual, there's a visual bear the entire time. I can walk in there. So now if I'm quiet, I've taken their eyes away, their ears away. I can get up in the stand and I'm behind the tree stand at the point where they could actually see me. So, at no point can they see me and hopefully not hear me and I can get in and out. And that works both ways. Getting in, getting in is sixty percent of it. Yeah. You, if you bust all the deer and they all run away, they know you're in there. You educate them with your access; they'll avoid you like the plague. But the other forty percent, or seventy forty, depending on how you want to do that, yeah. um, is the exit. Those deer are in that food plot. They're grazing. They're they're meandering through the whole the whole food plot, going to get the woody brown stuff. You need to get out. You can't harvest an animal. It's dark. Can't make a good shot. You have to get out of there without telling them all where you just were sitting. Yeah. Um, so you want to be able to get down and get out. And their eyesight's considerably better than ours at night. Yo, absolutely. If you look at their pupil size difference, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So just because you can't see them doesn't mean they can't see you and know who you are, what you're doing. So... You want to have that visual barrier, not only to get in, but also getting out. Because if you can get out without ruining or educating those deer, you can, um, if you can get in and out without educating all of them deer and that you were just in there, your hunting pressure goes down, the deer feel less pressured, they feel a little more natural, and they'll keep coming out early. Yeah. If you walk out of there and spook them on, and I hear people say, well, you make a coyote noise. You take a rock and you throw it as far away the other way you can see. It'll spook them out of there. Some say just get down. Um, anytime that tail comes up, <laughs> oh, it's, it, get, it can be... I, I've never heard some of those before, and I've heard a lot of stuff. Yeah, hold a big rock in your pocket and throw it out by them. They'll spook them. No. <laughs> anytime that tail comes up, anytime yep. that dope blows, stomps her feet, anything. You've not only just taught her, you've taught everyone around her. Yeah. If that buck sees you move, so throwing a rock, um, if that buck sees you move, now that tree is pegged. They yep. know that tree was that, and they're going to they're gonna second-guess that tree. Every time they come in. Yeah. Yep. So get, you want to slip in, but more, more importantly, you want to slip out. Yeah. And if you can get in and out and not educate the deer, that is the key. Um, and obviously, there's a million things that are involved with access. you got to have wind direction. You want to be wind direction, scent control, scent control, and um, your visual barrier, your noise barrier. I don't think it's crazy now with technology these days to take a Makita Ryobi 
steel battery leaf blower mm-hmm. and before September go in there and leaf blow your access. No, not at all. I've seen guys that rake their access. Yep. Yep. You know, if you rake it, you know, you get rid of the crunchy leaves. If you're going to walk in a long ways, especially in an oak woods, the deer will hear you coming for a mile. Now, if it's dark, you're not carrying a flashlight, you're not talking, you can get by with carrying a flashlight, but if you, if it's good enough where you can't see, you're not talking, the deer, if he can't see you clearly, he doesn't know if you're a, a clumsy moose or a person. Okay? Yep. So, on the other side of the highway here to the north, almost straight north of us from where we're at, actually pretty much exactly straight north, I think, uh, that way. Uh, Dad put up a tree stand for me when I was 12 years old. It's a nice big block, box side, block, blah, blah, blah. nice big box stand. It's not a blind. Good it's job. A, it's a six foot octagon, hexagon, enclosed from here down. So you sit in it and it's like a tank turret and you can shoot. It's got a platform. You can shoot 360 degrees around you. You'll never drop the gun. Awesome stands. Love this design. A little bit complicated to make. Awesome stand design. Permanent. And it's about six feet from the property line. Now, on the other side of the property line is 2,000 acres of state land. Swamp. A lot of guys can't hunt it because it's just so thick up there. And I got, at the time when the stand was built, I got a shooting lane to the north and to the south. Kind of an opening onto the state land where I can shoot and you can hunt on state land. And then I'd have a shooting lane to the west going to uh, my dad's deer fence. So I can cover anything that's going on our property. I'm going to see it. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have a half mile that I can cover with a rifle. Pretty much a half mile. Mm-hmm. Which is, some of those shots get pretty long. I never end up taking any shots that long, but I can still see it, yep. right? Yep. So our MO, when we go hunting, our wild deer are used to four-wheelers. We drive a four-wheeler around a fence line daily, pretty much daily. Whether we're checking traps, checking the fence, doing whatever, we're always out there on four-wheelers. We put, no joke, probably... Thousand miles a year on a four wheeler, every year, and we have four of them. Hmm. I mean, we are running four wheelers all the time, so we put all these miles on. Every wild deer out in the area is used to hearing a four wheeler. There's been times where we've been bow hunting, and you'll see the four wheeler go by. Deer walks out of the woods five minutes later. I've shot deer in rifle season. I can still hear the four wheeler of the person who dropped me off. Not even they're not even gone. I'm in the stand. They leave. We don't we don't make any noise in the stands, but they're used to hearing the four wheelers. So we like to get out there half hour before daylight, if we can. If it, gets to, if it gets light enough to shoot at 6.30, we like to be on stand at 5.30. So it's a half hour before sunrise. Yep. Get yep. out there in the dark. But what would happen on that tree stand, we'd have people come from the Twin Cities area, and they'd come out the state land. And they're free to do so. But we'd be on stand. The deer would not know we're there because we drove further and out. Deer don't do math. They know a four-wheeler came, four-wheeler left. They don't know how many people are on there. And then we get guys walking by. If it gets light at 6.30, they would show up at 6.15. Seven guys in a row, all with flashlights, talking the entire way. And it's it, and I've been sitting in my tree stand for 45 minutes, and they're 100 yards away, and I can see them. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. We can shoot in 15 minutes. You're not going to make it. Yep. So they... Scared all the deer away every time they went. But if they had gone 20 minutes earlier and not talked, deer don't know if that's a moose. They don't right. know what it is. If they don't see you, granted, so you gotta talk, you got to think about visuals. you got to think about scent control. But audio, they don't always pick it up. 
So there's there's all sorts of different options, but if you can educate your deer to your habits, that's better than educating them to your mistakes. Well, and, and a thing you have to, I mean, to think about deer, you have to condition them. Yes. Everything I do is the same all the time, mm-hmm. and and that's what you're doing. You're con- you're conditioning your deer. If you, and if you at all times are on your four wheeler, let's say you're on your four wheeler tw- on your property twice a day. Yep. You're checking your fence. You're driving around to do daily chores. Yep. That deer has heard, avoided, and dealt with a four wheeler going by twice a day for an entire year. So 365 days. Seven, eight hundred some days, eight hundred plus times. Times he's been interacting with that four wheeler and never been hurt. Yep. Never had a reason to. Yeah, they run, they trot off, tail up, maybe. The four wheelers never chased them. Yep. They've Nothing. gotten no pressure from that. So the first time they heard that four wheeler, they probably did bail. Yep. But the eight hundred and whatever time now, they're conditioned to it. So they're going to step off. They're going to get cozy. They're maybe not going to move. They're going to. They're going to watch you go by. Yep. But conditioning these deer. By being consistent on your behalf is super important. And that's exactly what that four-wheeler situation is, is everybody's, all the deer, the deer herd is conditioned to a four-wheeler. Yeah. They can't count. One person comes in, or, you know, two people come in, one person leaves. They don't know that. They can't, they can't figure that out. No. In situations where you don't have a mother, father, brother, family friend that can haul you out there. That doesn't give you the opportunity. That doesn't give you the excuse to do it kind of half-heartedly. Yeah, you have to be consistent because whatever you're doing consistently will condition most deer to that. And even if that thing is driving your four-wheeler to your stand and parking it at the base, deer aren't afraid of four-wheelers most of the time. There are some areas where they maybe are a little more paranoid, but if they're used to seeing a four-wheeler parked here or a tractor parked there, it's equipment. Yep. They don't know what it is. And, it's, and we're getting off the access thing, but it's I think it's really important. These pieces of equipment in these fields. Yeah. A tractor just sits there. 365, 365 days that tractor has seen, they've seen that tractor and not done it. It's not done anything to them. Yeah. They don't know if that tractor has a person in it with a rifle. So again, that's conditioning. It's, it's super important to do that. Um, my access, I have rules on the property which involve conditioning. I don't access the property if I'm doing summer chores, projects out there, or anything like that. I don't do it until um, 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Because in essence, when am I getting out of my tree stand? About 10. Yeah. When am I getting in my tree stand? About 2. But after those two points, between 2 and 10 o'clock that next morning, I want it quiet. Because... When I hunt, I've conditioned it to be quiet during those times. And that's everything I've done with access is to be quiet going in. I would love to have the luxury of somebody drop me off. And I considered it on my other property was like to go check the camera and go check the stand and check check the bait. I drove my truck up. I parked it. I was in there for five seconds. Got my truck. Drove away. Yep. If I was going to hunt that stand today, I would ask my wife or somebody to bring me there, pull up in the vehicle, stop it. I get out, go climb up in that tree and that, and that vehicle leave. Yeah. It's the same conditioning. Same thing that's been going on. Same thing with the four wheeler, same thing with everything, with your going in and out at those different times. And another thing you could do too, depending on how well you trust your area, but you could actually take in, if you're going to have a pickup there, if you're going to have a vehicle sit there for six hours, 
while you're hunting. Go park a vehicle there, have somebody bring you home and leave it there overnight. Yep. Now they're getting used to that's that's there all the time. It yep. doesn't bother me. Yep. So we fa- you got to factor in noise. That's number one. If you can rake your trail, that's awesome. It seems silly. Trail. It seems silly to be out there with your steel leaf blower in September and blowing all those leaves and sticks away, but you will be silent. Yep. So sorry. If you ever hear a buck walk through, if, if you ever squirrel, we've all heard this. Three hundred pound squirrels all over oh, the place. Man, all over the place. Sounds Minnesota. like it's three four hundred pounds and it's walking around on the acorns. Oh my gosh! It's yep. just around the oak leaves and acorn looking for acorns. It's just, it's just crazy. They're so loud. So if you can avoid that, that's great. So we got sound, we got visuals. Scent is important, and that's I think that's a whole podcast itself. Yep. Getting ready for scent control, but you got to watch your scent. You got to watch the wind. So you got to stand on the north end of your property that is specific for one type of wind. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? So that's a straight south wind. So in our weather podcast, we'll talk about cold fronts and stuff like that and, and the, the common wind direction but there's always a south wind so the north end i don't have access to i don't want to blow through the whole property just to access that north north stand but that's kind of a chunk that i i can't readily get to mm-hmm. um so what i have is i have the railroad grade cut from um the road comes through so it's a hard pack gravel based road with limited trees and sticks so that's actually a great road to walk. It's flat, so I don't have to, you know, wear get wore out. Um, but it's meant for south wind. Now, yeah. the south wind isn't an ideal weather situation, but it is an, uh, probably in the best location for bedding and, and having a lot of deer available there. So when I, if I walk that grade, I get up in my blind, they are downwind of me. Mm-hmm. So, or excuse me. They are upwind of me, so I would be smelling them, technically. Yeah. Um, but then my scent actually gets dumped off the back of me. Now, I'm going to close blind also, so that also helps with scent control. Absolutely. But does. that scent from my truck or where I'm parked down the grate all gets dumped over a big wetland bog. And, yes, deer can go out there, but they're not, they're not out there. They're not living out there. So... Um, my scent gets all dumped out that way, which is really good. So I have a hard base to walk on, mm-hmm. flat, easy access of, on my on my end of it, and then my, it creates puts all my scent off of off of a non deer area, and I'm down I'm downwind of the deer, so it's a great spot to be to be tricky. Um, if a buck was hit in that food plot hard, and I'd never seen him anywhere else. I would specifically wait for that south wind and go in. Yeah. And I would use that. And that's a rifle stand and that's the same thing. There we got trails going each way to uh, cover some serious ground. But um, that stand will get sat in twice in a year compared to the other two um, that will be... Your go-to. Co- yeah, there'll be a couple, three dozen, four dozen sits in each one. Uh, that, that north end one will be once or twice. And that'll be... Everything has to be perfect. It'll be key, and it'll be. It's a very aggressive move to try to to try to harvest an animal. So if it's a specific deer that's just being tough, I'm going to be ultra aggressive in that situation. So it, but you have to have options too because the wind doesn't always blow the same the, way. The wind never blows the way you want it to when you need it to, for sure. Uh, so yeah, 
Uh, time wise, I think we're doing all right. We got a few more minutes, maybe. I got uh, I got one story about access, and it's it's really this has kind of turned into a conditioning situation. But um, I decided to. My brother convinced me to try to do bow hunting. Mm-hmm. I had done a couple gun seasons at that point, but he's like, "You you should bow hunt. It's awesome." Okay, so he he taught me how to shoot a bow, put me in a ladder stand in the yard, and practice shooting at Atari with the angle. And he went up and set me set up a tree stand with a bait and a camera. And we had a nice little buck coming in. Uh, he did all the work for me. God bless him for all of that. But what would happen is my brother would drive me out on the four-wheeler and drop me off. And I hunted, I think, two or three times that way. But when we would check the bait or check the camera, we'd drive out there with the four-wheeler, go and check it, and come out. He's like, if you want to hunt this deer any longer than this weekend, you have to... Drive yourself out there. Not knowing what I was doing, I was driving down this path, down this old logging road, mm-hmm. parking the four-wheeler at my trail, at my access, and I walked straight in. It got to the point with the camera that every night I didn't sit, he was in there at shooting hours. Every time I did sit, he didn't show up. Huh. It got to the point where he was showing up 10, 20 minutes after I left. And at that point in life giving deer enough that this much credit was crazy but we're like he's watching us he's literally right there sees the four-wheeler waits till you leave and knows now it got baited now there's fresh food there and not it's safe to go in and my brother was kind of dumbfounded and he was thinking about it and i didn't know what was going on he goes i want what i want you to do i want you to pull up and stop right there at the trail right at your access we don't know where he's at but this is habit he goes, and I want you to drive all the way forward, good 100, 150 yards. And I want you to pull it off the gray, off the logging road and park it. And then walk back and go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was right, weather was right. So I went and sat, and I did exactly that. I pulled up and I stopped and I sat there for a minute. And then I drove 150 yards forward, parked it, walked back, got my tree stand. It wasn't a very long sip before it was getting dark. and It was kind of that prime time hour. And then I hear a deer behind me. I do a full loop, look around the tree. Here's this buck, that buck that we have been watching, walking my trail, hmm. my access, because it was snow covered, it was late bow season, and he's walking my access down. Walks in, gets his head in the corn, I take, I make a shot. It was a really good shot, but he ran a long ways, shaking first buck, you know, uh, first buck with the bow, so all, all shook up. Go home. I'm like, it worked. And Rob's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it worked. I drove up. And that's what was happening was he was parked on the other side of that logging road. And that was his access. He would have to walk onto that grade on that logging road. And he could look left to right just like you look for a car. And there would always be this four-wheeler parked there. And he would go, nope. Yeah. And would go back in. I, I assume go back in and wait. Yeah. And then he'd see that wheeler go away. And he'd get up and go. And I didn't realize he was going down the, the access. But makes sense that he would go the easiest way. Yeah, so he he wasn't used to a four-wheeler being around. Not not parked and sitting there. Yeah. Come in, we would bait, and we would leave. So he once that leaves, he knew it was green light. Yeah. But it just we didn't we didn't know what was happening. But after it came together, he's walking down my access. He's he would if I'd have parked my four-wheeler there and he would have continued his path, he would have had to jump over my four-wheeler. Yeah. So we changed, we adjusted, and and think. 
Thank God my brother thought about driving past it, getting that four-wheeler out of the way, and uh, just out of visual sight. Yeah. And uh, he, at that point, that four-wheeler didn't even leave, but it was just enough to get him to come in, and it was successful. So conditioning, that access, you can't just pull up, park your, park your four-wheeler there. At wit's end, I have a gate. I have a locked gate. And I parked the four. I parked the truck there, get dressed, and walk in. It adds about 100 yards, 150-yard track for me to get in. But I'm not touching chains. I'm not opening the gate. Yeah. The noise of the truck is closer. To highway noise. Closer to the highway noise than it is even where I would park anyways. So I'm getting another 150 yards away, farther away from, obviously, the hunting, uh, hunting stand. But it's covered by highway noise and stuff like that. But... I don't open that gate and rattle the chain and squeak the hinges and all that stuff. That's just a big alarm going, hey, everybody, Somebody's I'm here. here. Yeah. And uh, so I walk around that every time. It makes a longer walk, but it's uh, it's absolutely worth it. And where that tree stand is set up, I'm not penetrating my entire woods. Yeah. I'm really close to the highway. I'm really close to – I don't have to do a quarter-mile walk in. So the property is – um, half half mile deep, and I'm only going 200 yards. So, um, don't overthink your access, but definitely be consistent with. However, whatever you're doing, pick it, and then you know the patterns will pop up. That bucket uh, that I my first bow buck, it was a pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, when you guys hunt with the four wheelers, that four wheelers running all day. It's a pattern they yeah. get used to that they get conditioned so and you can hear that for other and it's, i mean it's a it's a 160 acres but you can hear it from almost any end of the property if the conditions are right yep, yep. so they're used to it there's yep. stories that i've heard guys say uh you know there's like a, a wooded median in between the interstate sometimes and they'll have a buck there that just lives in that median he doesn't run across where he hit by cars. You know, he, and he probably leaves occasionally, but it's not like he's going to go get hit by a car. Yep. He he knows how to live there. Because he, he hears cars go by all the time. He doesn't care about cars. He was born there. doesn't bother him. You could shoot him from a car. It's not legal, but you know what I mean. It's, yep. They get conditioned by where they're born. Yep. And that's another reason why we haven't discussed it yet. We will one day, but why a resident dole herd is important. Yep. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Uh, but access is key. If you can't get to your stand without getting noticed, you're just wasting your time. Yep, and and with big mature bucks, the concern is that once you educate them, once you bust them when you're getting out, or once you bust them when you're getting in, you may have ruined your chance for that season. Yep. That buck will catch up and go. Well, that wasn't cool. That wasn't normal. You know, think think of it this way: if you go drive down some egg fields. All these cars that drive by and these deer are out in the field grazing. They pick their head up, they look, and that car goes, by. Yep. But now drive by. So try it once. Drive by a field and see all these deer out there and just drive. And go down a half mile and then hit the brakes, turn around, and come back to that same field with those same deer. You have the same car, same color, all the stuff. And hit your brakes. Slow down. Now they're picking their head up. Yep. And that car stops or they notice it's slowing down. They're going to bail. Because there's a difference between that car pulling up. And stopping, yeah, or cars just zooming by. They don't care if you zoom you zoom by at sixty miles an hour. They're not gonna freak out about that. Now they might jump in front of it because they're that way. Yeah, well, 
But if you you slowing down is different than what they're conditioned to. Yeah. So you have to really work that access into that conditioning mindset. Don't go in early. If you're going to bait, and Wisconsin baiting is legal in some counties. If you're going to bait, bait at the same time, the same way. If it's on a four-wheeler, in a truck, by foot, come in the same way. Don't 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 wander. Um, if you're accessing your trail, the, your tree stand, pick a pick a route and absolutely stick to it. Yeah, because you could totally Pavlov Pavlov's dog is what we're talking about here. You can totally condition a deer if you're baiting the same time every day. You're consistent. They're going to recognize it, and especially with a feed source baiting feeding, whatever, the colder it gets, I think we talked about this last podcast, the more consistent they're going to be showing up. And the riskier they're going to take. But still, if you if you hold on to that pattern, if you hold your consistency and your pattern on your access and your in and out, they're going to create a pattern to avoid you. Yep. And you can almost predict. Yeah. And um, when you're on your dad's hunting preserve, that's exactly what happens. The whole system... It's designed about the wheeler coming up, dropping off the hunters, and the wheeler leaving. And we even saw that today when we were driving out here. We drove out to one of the tree stands to check on something. We were driving the four-wheeler, used to the four-wheeler, and there's we were out a little bit late. Yep. But, yep, but we were on the standing in the food plot, and they watched us drive up. And they, they went to move if we went to stop. Yep, and they didn't bail until we got up, we parked the four-wheeler, and we started rustling around. Yeah. So and, and, you know, a trick that I do like that you guys have showed me is... Leaving the four-wheeler running. Huge deal. So the four-wheeler running to them is just kind of a hum, mm-hmm. you know. But cha-ching, cha-ching, metal it, hitting. It that's masks a- putting the bullets in and masks climbing into the stand. If you got a noisy ladder. And then we all we always leave the four-wheeler running. And the per- if person doing the dropping off sits there and waits until you got your heater started. Yep. You got your gun loaded. Out of the case, your gloves off or on or whatever you're doing. Yep. You're sitting, you're ready, you don't have to move. And then you give the forwarder a thumbs up or blink the light at him, whatever you do. Yep. And the forwarder leaves. Yep. And now you will see you can see deer right away. Yep. And, of course, no talking. Don't ever talk. That's <laughs> Don't talk. <laughs> There's no way to put it other than that. Yep. It's, it's just not a good idea. But if you're consistent with your access and you condition these deer to however you do, you don't have to do a forwarder. You don't have to get dropped off. That's okay, and some people don't have that ability. But be consistent with your stuff. They'll become consistent. You can pattern them, and you can have a better opportunity to harvest them or understanding where how you're going to harvest them. Yeah. So they're very easy to condition. Uh, we had a buck one time. Dad, when for Dad first started deer farming, he would uh, go pour out five gallon pails of feed, and then he'd pour out the five gallon pails, bang the pails together, and he'd leave. And after about two months of doing this, he'd go out and just bang the pails. And the buck would come. Like, oh, it's time to eat. Pails banged. Doesn't matter what time of day it was. He heard that sound. He recognized that's the dinner bell. It's time to eat. So with that in mind, you could theoretically, if you're allowed to feed in your county, feed the deer all summer, do something similar. Bang the pails, ring a bell, whatever. Do something every time. And now they know that food is there. Yep. Then, when you go hunting, try that noise again. You might have deer come running. Yep. And, uh, you know, a point to the to the access thing, we talk about how we get to the, the big food plot and how, we're getting, how we can get to the north end. Um, my other one, my other micro plot, which is where I shot that eight-pointer last year, um, 
if you go up to the if you go up to the big food plot, it's straight up the hill, a left, and then I'm at the blind. North the north end is a straight shot till you walk to the ladder. Super easy. Yeah. But the micro plot where I shot that eight pointer is this winding. You come up, you take a right, you wind, you go around this big tree, you go up, and then you go down, and then you have to take a right, and it's this big winding. And the reason for that is, I had a buddy walk that trail as I stood on the big foof plot. And I said, you know, I had him on the phone and I said, I'm going to take some ribbon and I want you to mark. And when I see you, I'll say stop. So he went out to the trail. He started walking. I went, see you. And he stopped. He backed up a little bit and went, and why it winds like that is because I kind of stay between these natural crevices in the elevation and I kind of a coulee or whatever you want to call this little ravine area but it winds with the natural natural uh, grade of the property but i can't stand on that big food plot and see me access so if i decide to hunt that uh micro plot that's where i want to sit tonight and let's just say there's five deer out in the big food plot and i'm hoping they migrate down to the micro plot and then go bed yeah they can't sit there and see me no and we design i designed that one and that's not a convenient walk no, it's not, not at the all. it's not the fastest way there. It's not the straightest way there, but it is the way that based on where I think these deer are going to be, I can access without being spotted. Just let's just say they're out there. That's why I did that. And it took a little bit of work. I took a buddy to market and, and took a process. But sometimes the best access is straight. Sometimes the best access isn't isn't straight. You gotta yeah. trick it, them that way. Every situation is different. Uh, so there's a lot of things to consider when you're designing your access, and I think we covered just about everything there. We got yeah, sure. Oh, there's a lot, uh, but <laughs> we could talk about it all day. We could, but it's getting late. We'd like to do one more tonight, maybe. Yes. Yep. So, uh, so that is going to be it for this episode of Lessons of the Woods. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify. Send us an email at tenpointwhitetails at gmail dot com, and we are again sponsored by. Wallhanger Taxidermy of Cable, Wisconsin. And I think that's it. Episode 7, 8. You said you weren't going to say that. We're not doing numbers anymore. <laughs> Great. We'll put it, I'll put it, I, I can tell when I'm uploading that. Sure. But prior to that, I have no idea. So, anyway, if you made it to this far, uh, thank you for watching. Uh, Lessons of the Woods comes out every Friday at 7 p.m. Unless something drastic happens and I don't get it off. But, try to stay consistent, so... Thank you guys for watching, and we'll be back uh, next week.